0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, so, I don't know if you've uh, ever experienced this. I know I, I've experienced this. I've even been an active participant in this. But I think this is something, if you've been to weddings and, and sort of, um, you know, the celebrations after weddings, the Sheva over the years, said, that there's a good chance you've probably heard someone say this, um, or maybe you've said it yourself, um, which is that someone turns to the couple and, and says to them... Um, do you see how happy you are right now? Like remember this. remember how happy you are right now, because this is going to you know this will be this is like the real you guys. this is the real you and 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 and, and so and and you know I, like, like I say, I, I know I've, I've even said that you know once or twice over the years and And the truth is is that th- there's really something to it, you know. Um, it seems like I'm going to make fun of that, but I, I'm not. I, I, there, there actually is something to it. Because imagine for a moment, and you'll, you'll see where we're going with this, but imagine for a moment that you, as you sort of like, and, and this is true for all of us, as we, as we sort of like get mired in life and, and just you know kind of you know, go about all the challenges and everything like that, and it, we, we grow and we go up and down in, in various ways, it, the, the relationship itself is, is sort of organic, and, and the relationship it, it changes. You know, my, my father, Oliver was Shalom, was a psychologist. He practiced for 50 years, and, and he used to just say like the, the deepest things in the simplest ways, and one, one of the things that I, I remember him saying, just because it's so, it's so simple, but it's so true. He would compare relationships to house plants, and he would say, "If you don't water it, it dies." And that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the thought. But But there it is, like a, a relationship actually needs attention, just like a house plant needs to be watered, and in the absence of that level of attention, the relationship dies, just like the houseplant dies. so imagine, imagine if we actually and this is sort of a, sort of a strange visualization, but imagine if, say, imagine you in the sort of like the, the heights you know of in, in, in a relationship with another person, let's, let's just use the marriage paradigm right now. You know, you're with your husband, you're with your wife, you've just gotten married. Imagine if that couple actually lived in your house with you as you went through life for years and years. Right? So there are, say, four people living in your home, or, you know, let's forget about the kids for a moment. There are four people living in your home, and you have this as you' as you're sort of going through life in terms of your relationship you have this just married couple which is you and your wife or your husband whatever it is living in the house with you and you have this ongoing reference point of like how it is that you're supposed to be treating each other or how it is that you once regarded or your your spouse so that that's sort of like a a powerful um, check and balance to your relationship. Because it's sort of like, you know, as, again, as all the as life just sort of piles up, it's just so easy to be less attentive and less thoughtful and things like that. And then here you have this sort of living example, you know, to sort of like reference your own behavior against. So why am I telling you all this? It's because... Um, I was just thinking about how beautiful it is that we're learning Torah all year long, and we get to live with the Avos. We get to live with Avraham and Sarah, and with Rivka and Yitzchak, and with Yaakov and Rochel and Leah, and we're we're living with them. And now remember, now let's just sort of extend this this sort of like this this analogy or this visualization of this. Marriage, but but remember that that's the origin of our peoplehood. Those couples, those 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 families, those couples, where where we all come from. And now it's thousands and thousands of years later. And if it's possible to sort of like um, become maybe neglectful, neglectful, and uh, you know unenthused or disconnected or remote over just a few years in a relationship, how about over the course of thousands of years in a relationship, right? And yet, by learning the Parsha of the Week, we get to actually be in the same house, so to speak, with those with with our founders. You know, and, and to sort of like kind of like live in conjunction or in the vicinity or in the presence of that love affair. And that 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 gives us this wonderful check and balance in terms of our own relationship with our souls with our with our peoplehood with God with our with our forefathers and foremothers right so it's just like this is is very very cool thing you know so 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 it's beautiful just to be learning about Abraham and 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 and, and all the others i mean it, it's just great to that we're that we're living with them we're not just we're we're living with them now and um, it's like this great kind of like chiropractic adjustment of the soul that, that gets to take place. Because you go, oh, oh, right, like that, like that, yeah. No, no, I'm supposed to be doing it like that. I'm supposed to be feeling it like that. It's supposed to have that level of importance in my life as it did for them when they were confronted with that. So, and I, I was even thinking, just to make it a little bit more way out, like... Maybe at Avraham and Sarah's wedding or one of their Sheva bruchas, if they had them then, someone said to them, you know, I bless you guys that all of your descendants <laughs> should feel the way you guys are right now, right? Like if this is a brucha that probably so many of us have either given or we've heard over the years, probably goes way back, way back, way back. You know, it's not such a crazy, like, imaginative thought to give so a couple of blessing like that. It could be that they actually received that blessing, and that this is the culmination in the realization of that blessing that we actually get to live with them as they are at the height of their enthusiasm and and really just their their kite, their wholeness. You know, so. it's just, it's so, just life wears you down, and it's just so easy to settle for less and less and less and less. I once saw a t-shirt, which I like very much, which is, when all else fails, lower your standards, (laughs) which I thought was sort of like very brilliant in a, in a, in a kind of devilish way, you know, but um, anyway, anyway, so, so thank God, thank God we've got this like, Amazing aspect of our, our tradition where we, we sort of get to, to live in this way. Now, now, there's a part two to this thought, which is that, um, you know, the, the Torah ends with all of the children of Israel right on the border of Israel, about to enter into the land of Israel, but the Torah ends before we enter into the land of Israel. Now, you know that this idea of sort of like the children of Israel entering into the land of Israel That's basically the the Messianic ideal. That's like the next year, basically. So it's just sort of interesting, because it's sort of like all year long, we're living with, you know, and we can extend it, we can say Moshe and all the the children of Israel when they just sort of like, you know, endured slavery and then just left that to go into the wilderness without any food, and we received the Torah. So that's sort of like an ongoing, sort of like further kind of, um, further example of, of the idea of living with Abraham and Sarah. We get to live with us then, you know, just us as a nation, and us just sort of like, just leaving everything behind and just running after God, running after truth, you know. But it ends with, with us on the border of Israel and not having entered into Israel. And then it's sort of like, it's very cool, because then sort of like the focus switches back to us, because we're the continuation of that story, and we're going to get to finish that story that we've been living with for thousands of years. We're the ones who get to finish that story. You know, God will be our generation. God will be today, right now, right? But it's sort of like, it's the same story. And um, it's. I, I, I just think that that's that's, that's an essential idea, that... that we really understand, and and you have to kind of use your imagination a little bit, because it just kind of seems like, it's like, for a lot of people, the Torah is this text, and it's sort of like, oh yes, I guess, you know, I guess theoretically, if I could trace my lineage back, if I could do such a thing, I would see that I'm descended from this people, you know what I mean? It starts to get, it's very easy for it to get very remote, but it's literally just one story. And then just flows seamlessly from them to you. From them to us. Right? From Abraham to me. Right? All of us. To Sarah to me. Right? And then we get to finish that story. Um, you know, there's a, there's a way out Medrash. And, and, and the Medrash says, you know, we, we, we were just doing Chai Sar, And Avraham Avinu goes and he buys uh, Mors Machpelah, the, Machpelah, the the Cave of the Patriarchs, as it's called. And the Zohar says that's the entrance into the Garden of Eden, right? In fact, there's a lot of different, very interesting details about, about the, the, this cave, um, which is in Hebron. And... Um, and and one of them is that when when Abraham went to acquire it he was with Ephron and and it, it says that Abraham saw this like this amazing light coming out of the cave and it says that Ephron just saw darkness and it's 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 that's that's a big insight into into life into different people's Levels of spiritual sensitivity, you know. There's a light which is so great that others can't perceive it, and for them, they only see it as darkness because they can't receive that light. So it's not you understand. It's not that they don't see the light; they actually just see it as darkness. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very humbling thought. Um, but but Abraham saw it. Abraham saw it, and he really wanted it. I mean, this is the. Like we say, where it says where, where heaven and earth kiss, was was was, at the in, in this, in the entrance to this cave, or as you journey into this cave, and um. And it says that when Abraham, this is the Medrash I was referencing before. It says when Abraham. Carried Sarah in to be buried, because we know that Adam and Chava were buried there. Okay, it says that Chava got out of her grave and said, basically, I'm so embarrassed that, that, that Sarah is going to be buried next to me. That Chava was like, you know, I, I, that the whole exile essentially came through me, you know, and here Sarah is going to be buried over here. Like, I can't bear it. And Abraham reassured her and said, don't worry, we're here, meaning Abraham and Sarah, we're, we're here to fix it. We're here to fix what happened with, with Adam and Chava. And then Chava is consoled and she gets back into her grave. So, you know, did that actually happen? It may have. It may have. It may have. I don't know. But I can, I can, I'd like to give it an, an explanation for it, which I think that the Midrash is communicating. Remember, all Midrashim are true. It's just a question of what level they're true on. In other words, they all contain a 100%, 1,000% essential truth. It's just a question: Did the event itself occur? Did it not occur? And on some level, it's irrelevant whether it, re- it occurred or not. Do you understand? Because because it's true no matter what. It's just a question of what is that truth that is being communicated. So so I would like to suggest that that what's being said is is something. It's a very important point, and it's being said in a in a very amazing way in this, in this medrash. Um, which is that there was, there was an intention that God had when He created the world. And what happened was, over the generations after Adam and Chava, the, the truth of God got buried over, basically. We, we prized more and more, sort of like the, the middlemen, so to speak, the forces of nature. We, we gave more and more attention to since those were more immediate. You know, I learned from Rabbi Beryl Wine that in the ancient world, Jews were actually considered atheists, believe it or not. I mean, Jews are like very, very religious. So what does that mean that we were considered atheists? Because the nations of the world all had idols and they had sort of physical manifestations of who their God was. And so it was very sort of like mind-bending for the nations of the world to understand that there was this people who had this God that there was no image attached to. So they thought, oh, they don't have a God. But they couldn't grasp the fact that we were like, no, 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 God is beyond all that. God's beyond any ability to put Him into an image, for goodness sakes. Right? As I like to say, God is not a person. God makes people. Right? It's, It's beyond, beyond, beyond. Right? So... So what happened was, this, this is, is, is hard for people to, to, to not have something to hold or to look at or to bow down to. It's, it's hard for people. So over the generations, they, they gave more and more sort of like covet honor to the forces of nature itself, which they saw mani- as manifestations of godliness. And then all of a sudden, they started to actually pray to those things. And then that's where really the whole notion of one God gets buried over. And then that's why then the next stage of really the history of the world or the, the purpose of the, of the world and the, and the mission of humanity in this world to, to reveal the oneness of God then sort of gets repurposed in the form of this one family, the Jewish people, Abraham and Sarah, who then are spreading this, this, uh, this revelation of the oneness of God or, or uncovering uncovering this idea that had been buried over. So when Abraham reassures Chava and says, don't worry, don't worry, we're here to fix it, right? It's, that, that's what we're talking about on a more macro level. That, that this role of the Jewish people in terms of being, ideally, God willing, a light to the nations. You know? Remember, in terms of like, you know, have we made any progress? Have we made any progress? So I know... Rabbi Spiro has this book called World Perfect which I, I haven't really had a chance to to look at much but but I know that he makes some essential points and one of them is you know for the most part okay it's not perfect yet but for the most part we don't have slavery anymore in the world that's a that, that's a big deal for the most part in terms of the societal acceptance of incest we we don't have that anymore for the most part for the most part you know it's it obviously instances occur, but God forbid. But 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 in terms of this sort of like prized societal ideal, it doesn't exist anymore. And then let's go even deeper. In terms of the value of a human life. Right? Human life, okay, again, there are places in the world that you could point to that they say, okay, human life is completely dispensable. I get that. But for the most part, in terms of just a paradigm shift, in terms of recognizing that That human life is like this like this huge prized ideal, and that it can 't be dismissed that 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 's a revolution that 's an absolute revolution, right, and child sacrifice like it was it was a common practice for someone like why. You know, again, there's like this horrible logic to it. You know, you, you can understand what the ancient mind must have thought. I will take my most prized thing and give it to this idol to show how connected I am to this, to this spiritual ideal, right? I mean, there, there is a certain horrible logic to it, but there, it's gone. For the most part, it's, it's gone in the world today. So that's, that, that, these are just some areas. These are some areas where you see a very, very concrete breakthroughs in terms of just how the world has just absolutely progressed and evolved in, in dramatic, dramatic, dramatic ways, dramatic ways. You know? You know, it's so interesting in terms of prizing human life. You know, um, there are certain wars that have to be fought. They're called, uh, they're called mitzvahs. Certain, certain wars have to be fought. I think in terms of the modern era, if you need sort of like the the greatest example of like a sort of like a just a moral war, you you would have World War II, the defeat of Hitler, right? Like everyone sort of like, even people would say, no more war and everything like that. If you really actually reasoned with them, they would say, okay, well, even that, it makes sense that there was a war. We got to get rid of a guy like that, right? But what I find fascinating is that, you know, you know, if you look at, like, I think it's, a, I, I know in the Civil War, it was something like, I, I haven't looked at the number recently, so pardon me if this is wrong, but this is the neighborhood number. Something like 600,000 people died in the Civil War. You know, a lot of people, a lot, hundreds of thousands of Americans, hundreds of thousands died in the Civil War. In the Vietnam War, it was something like 60,000, right? I remember um, not so long ago, um, you know, following, they would do the morning death tolls uh, of, the, of the, say, the more, more, most recent Iraq war. I think this is the Iraq Part II war, right? And they would say, um, you know, it was like, you know, the, the number is getting close to a thousand. The number is getting close to a thousand. And, again, I'm not, believe me, I'm not for a second minimizing the the horribleness of that or, or, or that oh, a thousand that's nothing, but look at how the scale has changed, and it was shutting down society, Sh- absolutely shutting down society in America the number the intolerableness of the number of deaths that were occurring you know in this action in Iraq but if you look at the number it's it's vastly smaller in other words what what just make sure that we're communicating. What I'm trying to tell you is that it would it would seem that the entire world is understanding, even in the most extreme case, during wartime, the value of human life. Okay, again, there, there are exceptions. You know, in 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 Syria, in the Syrian Civil War, hundreds of thousands of people have died. Hundreds of thousands of people. So it's uh But the recognition, the recognition is there. The world has changed very, very, very significantly. Very, very significantly. You know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, something I'll never forget. He said that every single generation is, is getting closer to Mashiach. And that every single generation is... Is learning lessons from previous generations and they're not making the same mistake but they might be making very similar looking mistakes but it's it's not the same mistake you know and you know if you ever I think women especially understand this in terms of their husbands which is that how does he keep on making the same mistake what I told him ten times right But as, for me, having been that husband many times, I will tell you that they were ten different, very similar mistakes. (laughs) Perhaps completely irrecognizable to my spouse. But they weren't the exact mistakes. (laughs) I'm being very serious right now. Now that might be no solace at all to very frustrated partners. (laughs) Um, and And for certain people, it may in fact be the same mistake, but on a generational level, on a generational level, we are making progress. we just are we just are we just are, but you know you don't you don't always see it with clarity. One of the ways that God runs the world, and this is um this will answer a lot of questions if if uh, if, if you're if you're wondering about this is that Sometimes God allows the evil party, right, to actually get stronger and stronger and stronger, and then when they're at the height of their power, then He just wipes them out, because God wants to make that point. You know, if you think about, if you think about the Soviet Union, you know, we now it's sort of like it's like it doesn't seem like um, a big deal that the Soviet Union doesn't exist. But at the height of the Soviet Union, if it existed for another thousand years, you wouldn't have been surprised. It had such a lock on society. You know? You know, I think, I don't know who said this. and even George Santayana, I don't know who said this. But he said that when it comes to the defeat of a dictator, in the present moment, it seems absolutely, in the present moment, it seems unthinkable. Unimaginable, but in retrospect, it seems absolutely inevitable. <laughs> Not funny. Not funny. So, so we're talking about um, the bearing of Sarah, and uh, and I, I I just wanted to tell you a uh, just a, a Gomorrah, which is which is just something that. Uh, I think is interesting. So this is in Gomorrah Shabbos. It's page one hundred fifty-two B, right? Um, and and they're talking about that that there were um, that there were some diggers who were they were digging on the land of Rab Nachman, and then they they came across his corpse, and and the corpse actually spoke and said, you know, like. I'm the body of Ahibar Yoshia. Right? And and they say back to him, like they're like really perplexed. How how is there's this corpse and it's talking? Um, that doesn't it say that the dust should return to the earth as it was? Like, how is it possible that you've remained intact? Like why haven't you just completely broken down? Right, and what the Gomorrah goes on to say is something very interesting that that one's body, and this applies to all of us too, one's body will remain undecomposed in the grave. By the way, you know that old joke like what's mozart up to up to net right now? He's decomposing, you know <laughs> so <laughs> so. It's an old joke. So anyway, what if, if, if what what is the agency, what is the agency that turns one's bones and one's flesh, basically, into, into dust? What is that? And the Gomorrah goes on to say envy. That that envy rots the bones. Isn't that interesting? So if a person can lead a life without envy, then they're sort of like they don't decompose in the grave that's 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 really interesting that's really really interesting and they found by the way they found saddikim who they've dug up over the years who have been whole and it's like it's like like astonishing but this has been documented over the years every once in a while they they find people like this saddikim right How do you how do you stop yourself from envy? So it's a it's a it's a big subject. It's a big 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 subject. But we'll just just say one 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 idea on it. You know, we're talking about it a little bit on Shabbos. You know, if you think of like the billions or hundreds of billions, or maybe it's more than that even, of heavenly bodies that that are in the galaxy, right? In the all the different regions of the heavens. They're massive. So many of them are totally massive. Massive, massive. Like, like our sun is considered really small. Like they've got objects that are hundreds or thousands of times the size of our sun. And I think that's considered more average than what our sun is. So you've got these things. And, and the, the larger the heavenly body, the more its gravitational pull is. So you've got these massive objects. And I'm talking about millions and hundreds of millions and billions of these things. Massive! How is it possible that with their amazing gravitational pull they don't pull the other heavenly bodies into their, into their orbit and then causing a domino effect? Right? Where basically all of the heavens like just start smashing into each other. Right? Or... So that's, that's a marvel. That's a complete marvel. Or let's, put it, let's ask the question another way. How is it possible? Because we know that there are things that smash into each other in the heavens, right? How is it possible that things can also smash into each other and not cause this domino effect? In other words, question number one, why isn't there just as the normal order of things a massive domino effect? That's, that's question number one. Question number two is, given the fact that there is a domino effect that's initiated in certain places, why doesn't that domino effect continue and take down the whole heavens? It's a marvel. It's, it's, it's a marvel. I mean, there's this, to, to sound fancy for a moment, there's this exquisite choreography in terms of all these simultaneous orbits. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, I want to liken that, that amazing sort of like um, just how everything is at peace with each other in that way to, to halacha Because, you know, halakha actually means the path, right? It means the way, the way. holech means to walk. So that's that divine flow. And it's sort of like you have your life over here, I have my life over here. How is it that we don't smash into each other? <laughs> right? So it's sort of like, don't steal. Don't, I, I'm not touching your money. You're not touching my money, right? That's that's your wife. This is my wife, right? That's in other words, in other words, this notion that there are boundaries, and these heavenly boundaries that have been put into place, which are, which are the halakha, right? These are heavenly boundaries, heavenly guidelines. And then when you're operating with that, when you're in in harmony with those things, then this harmonizes the entire world. Remember, there's all this sort of like crazy energy in this world. So much anger and hatred and war and everything like that. And yet, when you do mitzvahs, you put out a light, you generate a light into the world. And you're harmonizing these competing energies in the world itself. Right? So, So, in terms of... Applying this in a very practical way as an antidote to envy. If you understand that, it's sort of like that person's car, or that person's house, or that person's kid, or that person's wife or husband, whatever it is. That's, that's their orbit. You know what I mean? I've got my orbit. That's their orbit. And it's sort of like, I'm, I'm staying in my orbit. Like, you see, Rev Shlomo said something so deep said something so deep. And again, another example of how you can collapse an entire mountain into like a teaspoon and deliver it. He, he said, the definition of jealousy, you ready for this? Is thinking someone else has my portion. You understand that? You understand that? It's not, listen, li- listen to the psychology of this. It's very, very deep. When you look at someone's fancy car, to just use that as a simple example, right? If a person has envy, here's what they're thinking. Not, oh man, I would like a car like that. Oh man, that's such a nice car. I wish I had that car. It's deeper than that. You know what they're thinking? He took my car. That's my car. He took my car. Do you hear that? And the person probably often is not even in touch with that level of energy that's going on inside of them. Oh man, look at that family. He took my family. What? No, no, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No. That's a whole different orbit. That's a different orbit. That's not your orbit. That's that orbit. There's zillions of orbits out there. You're in your own orbit, and just make sure your orbit doesn't crash against the other orbits, right? You know, I I was talking with a—I was talking with someone who knew about these things, about asteroids floating in space. I'm doing this this show that has this kind of space theme to it, and there's this one scene where there's a bunch of asteroids, and it's like this cluster of asteroids right? And the and the cluster of asteroids are about to crash into this guy's ship. Right? So he's from JPL, and he knows about these things, you know? And he said, yeah, you know, scientifically you wouldn't really have a cluster of asteroids like that. And I was like, oh, you know, like, I never would have thought that that would be scientifically problematic. Not that we're trying to be so accurate, by the way. But he said... He said, really what would have happened is, those asteroids, over time, would have smashed into each other and ground themselves down into space dust. And I thought, that's so interesting, like that never would have occurred to me. So let's apply that to envy, right? What does it mean that if someone has envy, their bones decomposed and become dust, (laughs) right? Because, you're going you think that that's your portion. So you're putting your you're putting your planet against their planet and guess what your bones are getting ground down into dust. Because envy is has two sides to it. One if There's such an identification that that other person is really you. There's a lack of identification with who you really are. Do you hear how that's working on two levels? If I'm looking at the other person and I'm going, that's really me. He really has my thing. And that's the roots of jealousy, right? What's the other side of that? What's the flip side of that psychologically? A lack of recognition of who I am. Because I think that's me. But that's not me. I'm me. But if I don't even know who I am, then what happens to my bones? What happens to me? I turn into dust. Because I'm making my own self disappear. Because I'm not recognizing who I am. So. So I think. So let's just take pride in ourselves. Let's just take pride in ourselves and just the fact that, you know, No, can I tell you something? No one's complete. You know, that, that, that famous thing, I know Dennis Prager says it all the time in the name of his friend's mother, the only people who don't have problems are the people you don't know very well. <laughs> you know? And then other people then say, and I just want to smack them for saying this, oh, but I wish I had those problems. You know what? You don't wish you had those problems. You don't. You you don't. You don't. You know? Maybe maybe for a second you you wish you had those problems. You, You don't wish you had those problems. You know? So... When we recognize everyone's brokenness, remember we've said it many times, but it's one of these fundamental thoughts that Reb Shlomo said, this world is like one big hospital clinic. That everyone down here is here to get something fixed. Right? We're all in the process of fixing something. It, it happens to be that some people, part of their fixing, right? It's just, you know. I, I talked to someone one time and I just, man, I just wanted to grab them by the shoulders and like give them a heart shake. I got so frustrated. They were like, "Oh man, that guy's so rich; he can afford the best doctors." I'm like, are you? What is the matter with you? What is your problem? You're envying this guy's sickness so that he can have such expensive doctors? Are you serious? Are you serious? Someone has expensive doctors. A lot of times that means that, you know, there's something more serious going on. So, so taking, taking pride in ourselves and just going, okay, this is what it is, you know. Let me just make the best version of this. You know, it's so funny. It's like, um, I was reading about this this, this uh, falafel place in Paris. <laughs> Apparently this is like the best falafel place. Like people love this falafel place, you know? Like there's like a line, there's a line down the block to get into this place, all right? And um, it's like, it's not a five-star restaurant. It's not even like a three-star restaurant. It's not a one-star restaurant, but it's a place that like, like cool, like if you're cool, you know about this place, and you're eating at this place, and it's the best food, and you know about it, right? So imagine you're the owner of that restaurant, right? And, and you've got, like, this totally hip, great place that people, like, who are, quote-unquote, in the know are all flocking to, like, in the fashion business and in all these different businesses. They know if they want to get, like, a really cool, home-cooked, fantastic meal, they're going to go to that place. And then the... the, the, the now imagine you're the owner of that place, and you go... Man, I'm so embarrassed that I'm not like a five-star hotel. I'm so embarrassed that I'm not like, you know, there's so much beautiful art in Paris that I'm not like this world-class museum. No, you, you, your smallness is part of your coolness, you know? That's what makes you so cool, that you're like this place that other people have to like be in the know to find out about. That, that's who you are. So that's all of us. You know what I mean? It's sort of like who we are. That is, you know, like like one of the things that I've sort of like, you know, kind of grown sad about is like like the neighborhood where I grew up in. I grew up on the Upper West Side of, of, of Manhattan, like in the 70s. The, the street number is the 70s. Also in the year number, is the 70s. But, <laughs> but um, you, you, you have, you used to have like all these stores. Like, all these like stores now it's like it's um it's all banks branches of banks or it's like a like a gap or it's all the big chain stores right like like I used to like if we wanted to go on a day trip I used to joke with my wife like do you want to go down to the the, to the gap in Laguna Or would you like to go to The Gap in Santa Barbara? Right, like, you know, it's like, all these places are getting gutted and they're all like outdoor malls. That's that's what it is. And so, have you ever been to one of those places, like a destination place where there's just a line of small, cool, interesting stores? Right, like that's the place that's like, oh my God, this is so great. You go from place to place and every place is unique and they're so cool and you can't see these things. Anywhere else, they're just like, there? Love that place, right? So that's us. That's us. That's that that's that's great. Be proud of that. And em- embrace that. Embrace that, you know? Like I know one of the things that I just I was just ex- saying it over to a, a friend the other day about the happy minion, you know? The happy minion is just like this unbelievable constellation of personalities, <laughs> right? It's like get to see this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. It's like so interesting, you know? And everyone's sincere and trying hard and trying to be the best version of themselves, you know? You know? But at the same time, it's not you know, no robots, you know? There's no homogeneity, you know? Just everyone kind of just being their own version of themselves, trying to be the best version of themselves. So, so like I say, let, 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 let that be a, uh, a counterbalance to, um, to envy. Let that be a counterbalance to envy. Understand that that other person doesn't have your thing. They, they don't. They just don't. That, that everyone's got problems. And that you're, you're actually like a really cool version of you. <laughs> just you know, so then just make sure that the windows are like clean, you know? Just spray the windows, <laughs> sweep the floors, arrange the desks so that it's a nice presentable version of the shop, right? And then just be proud to bring people in. Because this is our life. This is our life. Let's like really celebrate and enjoy it. Now for some questions and answers. Ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, Going
1: out on a limb with this question, but here we go. Um, My father, who was a very powerful, successful man, had some people around my age working for him over the years, and mentored them in a way that he never did with me. And then years later, after he died, when they had a little bit of a chance to pay it forward with me, they didn't. Now, I understand that there is father son garbage that wasn't with them. Right. Uh, I understand, I mean, it's not uncommon for people like my dad to have three sons and the son they never had. Sure. Um, And I'm not saying I didn't bring stuff to the table that may have know and I don't I don't blame them for being mentored if that was available to them and yet it does sting a little to this day yeah so now I'm on board with envy not being warranted right but there but there's a little piece of this envy that feels yeah authentic
0: well it's it's you're you're bringing in another dimension to it you know, which is natural because this is accurate. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the just the just the parent-child dynamic to mm-hmm. it. You know, which is a that's another dimension. Mm-hmm. You know, well, there's, it's, a, there's it's, also it's, yeah, the dimension of
1: not being exactly where I want to be. Well, if I'd landed on my right. feet in a different way, I'd be right? Like, well, we all right. got there in the end,
0: right? But you know, you know, everyone's everyone's path is is different. And even if your father had given you that attention, you may have taken that attention and decided to become a zoologist. You know what I'm saying? So, in other words, you, you may have gone into a completely different field. And there's no necessary correlation between. Um, that mentorship that mm-hmm. you would have gotten and mm-hmm. and and following say in your dad's footsteps right. but, but let me just say well, something that's, I, that's not even yeah.
1: exactly what I mean no, 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 I know that I'm just exact... kind of just right. making
0: a s- side point sure, you know? sure. just so you said in terms of where I am today right. you, you might be in a completely different place right you know what I'm saying right. um, it's just a question of uh, whatever place you're in whether you're whether you're feeling good about yourself in that place that, that that's the that's the more that's the more salient point sure and I know Rabbi Freeman was just talking about this the other day as a, as a very common phenomenon. And I've even heard Rabbi Beryl Wein talk about this, just on a, on a macro level. It's very rare that, and I'm going to put this word in heavy quotations, that great men are followed by great Sons. I've heard you say
1: that.
0: It is it, historically. It's very rare. It's very rare. And when you said you know, that the first know,
1: time, I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess." It, that's it's true. very
0: rare. <laughs> and and Rabbi Freeman was talking about it in the in the context. You even see it with Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh-huh. You see, who would be? And I'm not Chazalim impugning Moshe Rabbeinu at all. But who would you would imagine being the successors of Moshe Rabbeinu if not Moshe's children, right? Um, but you, you don't see that. You, in fact, you see, if you look into that story, you actually see something close to the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's a very natural thing, and, and Rabbi Freeman was talking about it just in the sort of the here and now, more contemporary version of that, where he was talking about just different spiritual figures and rabbis and things like that, where where they neglect their children, spiritually, and and yet they seem to have endless time for other people in the community. Mm-hmm. And he took it a step further. And again, I'm not talking about your father now, I'm just telling you what Rabbi Freeman said. And he said, perhaps it's because they get a level of adulation mm-hmm. from these other people mm-hmm. that they don't get from their own children. Adulation? And adulation means praise and celebration. Like sure. because, yeah. you know, if you're if you're if you're like a, a little kid and you know, your father is just this authority figure. You know what I mean? You don't know that he's necessarily risen to the top of his field and is like a, you know, a world-class person. He's the guy who tells you to finish your food and who yells at you to hurry up when you have to leave the house and yells at you when you have to do this. And so your relationship with him is, is very, very different. And, and so sometimes that's a big, from the, from the great person's point of view, a real disincentive <laughs> to wanting to spend more time with that person because these other people understand who they're getting. You don't even know who you're getting. Why should I like, waste all my time with you? But meanwhile, that, that's not necessarily the way the father really feels, but it's just enough of a course-altering instinct to send them in a different direction and that's not the fault of the child by the way right. child's just being the child right. it's it's a sense of perhaps the ego of the quote unquote great man you know so and again i'm not talking about our great spiritual masters right now. i'm not right. i'm not talking right. about that i'm just sort of like exploring this phenomena why it happens and why it's so prevalent because you see it's prevalent throughout history so you know it's it's one of these things where a person at a certain point just has to say okay, this is who I am, this is what I got, I'm just moving forward with that, I'm just going to make the best version of that. Mm-hmm. And not looking behind them and over their shoulder at the various what-ifs and could-have-beens. Because those things are, um, that's the eight Sahara. That's the eight Sahara that just wants to stop a person from making progress with their own life. Mm-hmm. and And if they can keep them distracted, and just dwelling on the lost possibilities then they know that they can stop that person from making the forward progress that that person needs to make and that's it's you know it's a it's 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 a much longer conversation but let's